0: Hey, CrimeSide listeners, if you're needing more high-end storytelling in your life, check out a true crime podcast that is sure to be your next favorite. It's called Big Mad True Crime. Prepare to be enraged by the outstanding storyteller and host Heather Ashley as she gets straight to the point and sprinkles in her unfiltered personality. You can feel the passion and compassion for the victims throughout this extremely well-researched and written show. She is the type of person that you want to meet and have coffee with. Listeners of Big Mad True Crime are drawn to Heather Ashley's huge heart and zero time for BS. Her sassy one-liners, also known as Heatherisms, add a unique and entertaining touch to each episode. The show typically covers one case per episode, and a new episode is released every Monday. Although they have done multi-parters such as the Chris Watts case, which is definitely one that you will get big mad over. So be sure to check it out. Big Mad, True Crime can be found wherever you get your podcasts.
1: All the blood, blood All the pain, pain. All the blood
2: Okay, that music was a little different.
0: Yeah, it kind of sounded a little throwbacky.
2: It does. Hmm.
0: <laughs> Hello, everyone. My name's Ashley.
2: And I'm Ricky.
0: And we're the hosts of Crime Salad, here to deliver a healthy portion of true crime. Yes, ma'am. So this week we're doing things a little bit different, just to throw things off. We told this story that we're about to tell you. About three years ago. It's a heartbreaking one. Three
2: years ago? Almost five years ago. Five years ago? Almost.
0: Jeez Louise, where has the time gone? And we told this story when we were nothing more than just a little salad leaf. And the intro song that you just heard was our first original intro when we first started. And the voice is Diane Downs in one of her many interviews. This was actually... Our very first episode that we did so now that we have grew into what we are today and added a little seasoning to um, the podcast ricky and i decided to redo this case and freshen it up so remix and after i read through the original episode we've came a long way
2: oh for sure so
0: i'm excited about it me too Now, please use your discretion when listening to this episode, as some of this content may be upsetting because it does involve children. Now, this episode involves three children whose lives were turned upside down by their very own mother. Some believe that she was on an attention streak, attempting to twist the narrative with an assumed lie that wouldn't stand up in court once her surviving child bravely testified against her. Some claim that the crocodile tears that she tried to force out were not genuine. Did she want to put an end to her previous life and begin a new one with someone else? Now, let's get into the old time machine, Ricky. We are going to Springfield, Oregon, and it's May of 1983. This was before we both were born. And it was a time when supposedly a dozen of eggs cost 85 cents. Dang! And a brand new car cost somewhere between $7,000 and $11,000.
2: I'd have eight cars.
0: That's unheard of today. And the Motorola DynaTAC 8000X first appeared on store shelves in 1983 at the price of $3,995.
2: Holy moly.
0: This was a luxury item for those who could afford it. And its battery only lasted for six hours, and you could talk for a maximum of 30 minutes.
2: <laughs> Quick phone call.
0: It'd be kind of a good excuse to like get off the phone early. Like, hey, you know what? I actually got to go. Uh...
2: <laughs> really pushing on my 30 minutes. I got a couple more calls to make.
0: And this phone was comparable to the size of a large home phone that you would see with, like, a pullout antenna.
2: Holy. You know what's weird is those phones were huge when they came out. And, yeah, they probably had to be because of, like, the battery and technology. But then they got really, really tiny. But now they're huge again. Like, my new iPhone is the size of my face.
0: I forget the weight of it, but it's very heavy comparable to mine.
2: It's massive.
0: Now, around this time, Diane Downs, a mother, and her three children moved to Springfield, Oregon. The recently divorced woman was determined to start off fresh. You see, before she made the move to Oregon, she was married to Stephen Downs, a man who she was with since high school and got married to at the age of 18. Her marriage with her husband was an unhappy one with the differences that they had it was settled in divorce but before they made that decision they tried to make things work by starting a family soon diane became pregnant with her first child christy who was born in october of 1974 and they had their second child cheryl lynn in january of 1976 diane would later claim that she only married stephen as an exit plan to get away from her controlling and overbearing parents and to have children. Diane grew up in Phoenix, Arizona with the necessities, but was raised by apparently super strict and religious parents who didn't show affection and often criticized Diane continuously. After high school, Diane attended Pacific Coast Baptist Bible College in Orange, California. But after one year, she was kicked out for promiscuous behavior. After this happened, she refused to go back home to her parents, who were sure to disapprove her. And so she moved out and got married to Steven, her high school boyfriend. And they eventually had kids.
2: So she just needed a place to go.
0: Yeah, an exit plan, right? Now, things, like we said, were rocky in their relationship. She happened to become pregnant a third time, but decided to get an abortion. And she soon felt regret making that decision. And she wanted to make up for it and get pregnant again. However, Stephen, he had a vasectomy, so that wasn't happening. And so she called up a friend named Mark Sager, and she got pregnant from him and soon gave birth to Stephen Daniel in 1979. And they call him Danny.
2: He's a good friend, I guess.
0: And as you can imagine, this didn't sit well with Stephen. With continued differences, a year later, Diane and Steve had a divorce. Although she appeared to have a love for motherhood and her kids, Stephen described Diane as not motherly at all, never really giving her children any attention. Her children would say that they were scared of her and that she treated them poorly.
2: Yeah, I think everything for her was a show.
0: Yeah, and as we get more and more into the story, you'll see that she was on the spotlight all the time. Right. Now, during the night on May 19th, 1983, the now divorced mother of three, Diane Downs, drove her red Nissan Pulsar to the emergency room at the McKenzie Williamette Hospital in Springfield, Oregon. Diane had a gunshot wound in her left arm and her three children were covered in blood. Diane initially claimed that she had taken her children to see a friend and later that night, during the drive home, Diane decided to enjoy some sightseeing, taking a back road.
2: What kind of sights was she trying to see? Like a raccoon under a streetlight? Deer crossing the road?
0: Something like that. Nightlife, right? Right. Now, as she was driving down this dark road, emerged from the darkness was this man who appeared to have bushy hair and he motioned for her to stop. This is my ultimate fear. Like, it's so dark. Me seeing someone on the side of the road would, like, freak me out. I probably would just, like, hit the gas. Yeah,
2: especially you're a mother with three kids in the back. Like, you don't hit the brakes. You hit the freaking gas.
0: Right. No doubt. But according to Diane, she felt like she had to stop and help this man, regardless of being in the middle of nowhere, in complete darkness, and with her three kids in the back. Diane gets out of the car to see what he needs help with, and he says, I want your car. He pushed Diane to the side and shot her in the left arm before reaching into the car and shooting all three children. Diane quickly thought to throw her keys in the darkness, distracting the gunman long enough for her to jump back into the vehicle and race her children to the hospital in an attempt to save their lives.
2: Wait, throw her keys?
0: So she pretended to throw the keys so that it would distract the gunman. I was
2: going to say, that doesn't make sense. You can't drive the car.
0: Now, for Diane, fortunately, she had only been shot in the left arm. So she was able to get back into the car and drive her kids to the hospital safely. Diane, she explained that she rushed all three of her children to the hospital in a panic. And while at the emergency room, the staff saw this mother pull up and they rushed to help the children. Diane was told to wait in the waiting room. A woman named Judy Patterson was a receptionist at the hospital that night and asked her to explain what happened. And Diane tells the front desk receptionist that on the way back from visiting her friends, all the kids were awake, laughing in the car and having a good time, and they were driving down Old Mohawk Road just outside of town, taking a scenic route, when they were approached by this man who shot her three kids. Once the police arrived, Diane explained a similar story, but that her kids were all asleep. I
1: still
3: maintain my innocence. Somebody in the road flagged us down. I stopped and got out of the got out of my car, and he said something to the effect of, I want your car. And I laughed at him. And I said, You've got to be kidding. Because in my mind, those kinds of things don't happen. In Arizona, those things don't happen. I don't know about Oregon, but in Arizona, those things don't happen. And so he jumped into the car, leaned into the car, and started firing the weapon. And it happened so quickly that by the time he stood up and faced me, it was over. I mean, it was just that fast. He said something about the car again, and I struggled with him. The gun discharged. He fell back. I jumped in the car, put the keys in the ignition, and took off. The car door shut by itself. That's it. And I went to the hospital.
0: Now, the police want to investigate the crime scene where this all happened. So they take Diane with them to see if the attacker is still there, if they can find a murder weapon. But they don't find anyone. The police launch an investigation of the crime scene in search of clues and a possible murder weapon. And there they found spent shell casings, but there was no murder weapon. So Diane and the police arrive back at the hospital when she was told the devastating news. Her daughter Cheryl had passed away.
2: Okay, so the police took Diane from the hospital back to the crime scene, right? She led them to the crime scene. Mm-hmm. So then that's when they found the shell casings, but then they took her back to the hospital?
0: Yeah. So this was a crime scene. It was late at night. They didn't know exactly where it was. So they took Diane so that they could find it quickly and hopefully find this guy who was still there or a murder weapon or anything. Yeah, I see. As for the two other kids, Danny was expected to recover, but he was faced with the risk of being permanently paralyzed. And as for Chrissy, she suffered a stroke from excessive blood loss and needed immediate surgery. With the intensity of the situation that her children were left in, one having died, according to police, Diane didn't seem to be affected by the devastating news. Instead, she was surprised how a bullet that had pierced Danny's back had not gone through his heart. This whole situation became suspicious, and detectives quickly determined several things didn't add up. First of all, it was strange that she explained that they went sightseeing on a back road. Who goes sightseeing when it's completely dark outside? And on top of that, it was a Thursday night at 10 o'clock p.m. And she also told the police that the children were sleeping. And another thing that stuck out to police was if the shooter were to shoot the three sleeping kids in the back seat, aiming at their chest, why was the mother only shot in the left arm? Diane, being the biggest threat, was the least injured.
2: Yeah, I mean, she's right in front of them, fighting with them. Like, shot in the arm, you'd think he would at least shoot twice. Or, you know, after he reached in and shot the kids in the back, you'd think he would go after her again.
0: Yeah, and I mean, also, like, if you look at the big picture, this guy who was attempting to steal her car, why would he do that with three bloody kids in the back? I mean...
2: Yeah, it doesn't make sense.
0: When Diane visits her wounded daughter, Christy, who is lying in a hospital bed, unable to talk, who suffered a stroke from the loss of blood. Her mom walks into the room, and Christy's eyes widened in terror as her heart rate spiked dramatically on the machine next to her bed. Her having the fear in her eyes when her own mother was entering the room was telling. Something wasn't right. Instead of comforting her suffering 8-year-old daughter, Diane assumed that her daughter had brain damage and suggested to the doctors to pull the plug.
2: I think at this point, she's just hoping there's brain damage and that they can pull the plug. Because it's the same thing with Danny where she couldn't believe that, you know, the bullet that went through his back didn't pierce his heart. Right. It's like, how did I mess this up? Like, how are they still alive?
0: Right. And to the surgeon, he's thinking, what mother says this?
2: Right. Like, no mother would be like, yeah, pull the plug. They would be like, Oh my God, did you? Yeah, did you do everything you can possibly do? Are you
0: sure? Like, is there something that we can do? Like, why? Like, let's work at this. Now, the doctor said that it wasn't confirmed that she had brain damage, but at this point, she was doing well. And in a very stern tone, he stated he wasn't going to pull the plug.
2: Yeah, I mean, at this point, the doctor is holding on to more hope than the mom is.
0: Now, ABC did an interview with this very surgeon who claims that when his pager beeped alerting of this emergency, he hit at least 100 miles an hour getting to the hospital. The surgeon witnessed the unfolding of the events that occurred at the hospital, and he thought that Christy at the time was dead at first. He said, quote, her pupils were dilated. Her blood pressure was non-existent or very low. She was white. She was not breathing. I mean, she is so close to death, it's unbelievable, end quote. And he also stated that the mom didn't even shed a tear at all. And just within 30 minutes of talking to her, he got the feeling that she was responsible.
2: Yeah, that's crazy.
0: One thing that we know, everyone reacts different to trauma. There's not one way that you're supposed to act when something like this happens. But these things just came off as unusual. Now, regardless of all of the suspicions that are surrounding this case already, the police alerted the community that there is a potential madman on the loose in this area. And then there was a witness who came forward who stated that they saw a car, which matched Diane's vehicle, that evening driving very slowly towards the hospital, going somewhere between 5 to 7 miles per hour. This is a little different from the story that she told police that she rushed to the hospital. And this part
2: always makes me uh, just shake my head because, honestly, I think she's just, she was trying to wait for her kids to die.
0: So sickening.
2: Like, yeah. Like, if you had a real emergency, you'd be flying to the hospital.
0: And, and the surgeon said that he was going 100 miles an hour, so that's just, yeah, like, night and day. Crazy. Now, Diane admitted to having two firearms in her possession. And during the search of Diane's home, police discovered the two firearms and ammunition. But what they were particularly interested in was a box of regular 22 caliber bullets, the same type of bullets that were used to kill the children. Bullets found inside Diane's home were tested, and they were found to have the same extractor marks as the cartridge casings discovered at the crime scene. But some people believe, like Diane's brother and those who believe that she is innocent, They believe that this information is incorrect. The defense claimed during the trial that Diane admitted to not even having the gun in her possession at all, but it was in Stephen's possession in Arizona.
2: Her ex-husband.
0: Yes, her ex-husband. Now, the gun that she had previously owned was never found. And as far as the murder weapon, it also was never found.
2: Okay, so this part doesn't make sense to me. So they're claiming that they have the extractor marks from the casings from the bullets that were found at the scene, right? Mm-hmm. And those were from a .22 pistol. But then they claim that they searched her house, right? And I believe they found like a 38 in her trunk, but then they found like a 22 rifle in the house. But then they go and they say that they compared these two casings with the extractor marks, and they had a clear match. But, what doesn't make sense is they never found the murder weapon. So, like, how could you compare it? like obviously the the twenty two pistol wouldn't be the same as the twenty two rifle. Like right. I, I don't get it. And I think that's what a lot of people who say who think she's innocent are also saying, like, hey, that doesn't make sense,
0: yeah. I mean, that's a very valid point.
2: I, I mean, the first time we read this, I assumed like I wasn't understanding because, that's like a huge hole in the case.
0: And also what's kind of interesting is there's a website. It's Diandowns.com. And I'm not sure if the brother runs this or who runs it, but they have a lot of information on there that is very interesting that kind of makes you think a little bit different to how this case was ran.
2: Right. Cause a lot of it's not creditable, but a lot of the content is court documents. So, right. I mean, a lot of it's showing weird things like
0: like pointing out different things like, "Hey, you said this, but"
2: Right. Look like at the this. so for instance, the extractor mark. So, if if you guys don't know what that is, it's basically like the claw that ejects the casing out of the gun after it's been fired. So, they're saying that when you shoot a gun, you know, the claw throws the casing out of the gun. So, if you shoot another bullet, that claw mark or extractor mark would essentially be very similar to the last one. But I still can't get past the fact that they never found the murder weapon. So what are they comparing?
0: It seems really weird.
2: It does. I don't know much
0: about guns, so I can't really, like, say, you know, this or that. But it does seem weird just looking at the big picture.
2: So it's also possible that we're missing something. Like, we're not gun experts. But we've also looked through, like, so many documents, court documents, and we can't find a clear answer to this.
0: It's very vague.
2: Very, very vague. But but either way, I mean, this is what they're saying in the court documents. So, like, they're painting it this way, no yeah. matter what.
0: Yeah, exactly. One thing that the investigators have against Diane is the interviews. The grieving mother did multiple news interviews with the media that only gave people the opportunity to judge the situation.
1: This man shot my daughter. My first reaction was to snap back that- to my childhood, to the pain that had happened to me back then, my marriage, my entrapment by society. This man was bigger than me. He was stronger than me. He had more power because he had a gun. And I stood there and I looked at Christy reaching and the blood that just kept gushing out of her mouth. And and
2: I, what do you do? Her theatrics.
0: I just can't wrap my head around the fact that Diane stopped the car on a dark, strange road for a complete stranger while her three kids slept soundly inside the vehicle. That's just so weird to me. And just when you think her story isn't adding up, she goes on to be broadcasted all over the area.
2: Yeah. And the fact that she she seemed to love this attention, she totally got off on it like she had crazy theatrics. Her stories basically centered around herself. Barely talked about her children or anything. Like she's seen like laughing and kind of flirting with the the host, the news anchor or whatever. It always was so weird.
0: Yeah, like there was an ABC 2020 episode where Diane, she gave an interview to the guy who she was like flirting with. Right. And she was acting out the events as like this was like a play or like a skit like I pretended to throw the keys into the into the darkness and I, you know.
2: Yeah. So heroic aren't yeah. you? Now,
0: now this interview was done four days after the shooting. And it's difficult to believe that during the same time, her kids were in the hospital and Still. one was one was dead.
2: Right. Like And they were hanging on by a thread, too. Yeah.
0: And her voice during the interview sounds so calm and she's collected and she lost a child. I
2: don't know. And everybody's different, but it's like, I'm declining those interviews four days Yeah, in, I, after I don't have this. any
0: time for that. I'm probably drinking a bottle of wine. and. Yeah.
2: I know, mean, honestly, I wouldn't even have left the, the hospital the, the night yeah, that it happened exactly. to go to the crime scene. I'd be like, look, we'll do that later.
0: All in all, she was appearing to enjoy this attention while her two remaining children were still in the hospital suffering.
2: Blows my mind.
3: That. Diane called,
1: punched in, put the keys in. I just hit my chest. Started the car and left. The car door shut itself. I'm sure he didn't intend to shoot my arm.
0: In another interview, Diane continues to focus her attention on her, explaining that she will never again be able to tie her own shoes and she will always have to live with this obvious scar on her arm. It's disgusting.
2: Wait, she's worried she won't be able to tie her own shoe?
0: Everybody says you sure were lucky.
1: Well, I don't feel very lucky. I couldn't tie my damn shoes for about (laughs) two months. It is very painful. It is still painful. The scar is going to be there forever. I'm going to remember that night for the rest of my life, whether I want to or not. I don't think I was very lucky. I think my kids were lucky. If I had been shot the way they were, we all would have died.
0: Yeah.
2: She's got a kid who's now paralyzed for life,
0: and a a little girl who had a stroke who's hanging on.
2: Oh my god! There might be
0: and one who died. It's like like
2: she's saying, like, there might be nerve damage in my arm.
0: Fucking idiot! (laughs) Sorry about my language, but this case just gets to me. Yeah,
2: and this is one of those cases. Like, we try not to be biased, but like, how are you not?
0: Right. Regardless of what evidence they found, the interviews were like, oh my gosh.
2: Yeah, hundred percent.
0: So was she experiencing some mental health issues at this time? Experts for decades have determined her having narcissistic psychopath tendencies.
2: So during all of this time, like, where was Steve Downs, the the father of the three kids?
0: So Steve was in Arizona at the time when this all went down. And he told the police that Diane had three firearms, not two specifically, and the third firearm that she owned was a 22 caliber pistol. More specifically, a 22 caliber Ruger Mark IV semi-automatic pistol. The same type of firearm police believed was used at the scene of the crime. Apparently Steve had an alibi, he was in Arizona, so he was cleared as a suspect. As for the police, they first learned about the affair from Steve once they asked him about who she was talking to during this time. And before the shooting, Diane had met a man named Robert Knickerbocker, and they both worked for the Postal Service. While working with Robert, the two developed a platonic friendship that turned into a hot and heavy hookup in the mailroom. I don't know if that actually happened in the mailroom, but I'm not rolling that out. Diane saw Robert as different from any other man. However, there was a bit of a roadblock Diane was on a mission to plow over any roadblock, destroying whatever was in her path because she was in love. This relationship bloomed into something being that they got matching rose tattoos and discussed an eventual move to Oregon together. But there was a roadblock for Robert. You see, Robert didn't want the burden of having kids around. He enjoyed the thought of moving away to Oregon with Diane, but he didn't seem to have an interest in being a father figure to the kids that weren't his.
2: The motive.
0: And there was another thing. You see, Robert was married. He seemed to be tossed up between staying with his wife, who had no idea what was going on in the mailroom with Diane, but Robert made his final decision. In the months leading up to this move to Oregon, Diane ended up taking her kids to Oregon by herself as Robert stayed back, deciding to stay with his wife.
2: So in her mind, if she could get rid of the kids and they could live happily ever after. The mm-hmm. The motive. Hey, what do you got there?
0: Oh, uh, this is the best cup of coffee I think I've ever had.
2: Wait, you made coffee with the AeroPress without me? I did. Uh
0: If you're like me, you take your coffee very seriously. I can't start my morning with whatever coffee's in a can or that old tasting coffee in the hotel room.
2: Or well, the coffee in my work is so bad.
0: Yeah, it's usually bitter and acidic.
2: Watered down.
0: But at the same time, we can't just keep buying coffee at the coffee shop because it really adds up. About $5 a day is over $1,800 a year.
2: Yeah, but it's like we do everything together, so it's $10 a day, you know, 3600
0: A year? Yeah. Now, listen in on this total game changer when it comes to coffee, lattes, espresso, or whatever your favorite coffee drink is. AeroPress does it all. I feel like a barista in the kitchen, and all I have to work on now is my latte art. Ooh. Your next cup of coffee will be the best cup of coffee you've ever had. And the AeroPress is so cute. It's this little portable French press, but even better. It's an espresso maker that you can take with you when you're traveling. Ricky takes one to the office every morning.
2: Yeah, and it's super simple, too. Like, that's what's cool.
0: It's the only press that uses a patented three-in-one brew technology, combining the best of several brew methods into one portable device for a completely unique and delicious flavor profile. We're talking smooth, rich, and full-bodied, without the bitterness and grit found in other presses. For a
2: second there, I thought you were describing me.
0: Oh, uh, yeah, I I was. Hmm. Also. In addition, AeroPress can brew thousands of recipes and it is extremely simple to use and also clean. It's not like one of those complicated coffee contraptions with a bunch of knobs and gauges. You'll be slurping a cup of deliciousness and ditching the old coffee maker. Ricky, tell them how you do it.
2: So all you do is you simply add your favorite medium fine coffee grounds and add hot water. You stir it for like five seconds and you let it sit for 30 seconds to brew then you serve it in your favorite pug mug.
0: And this, I feel like, would make the perfect gift this holiday season. There is no way to go wrong with AeroPress. I went ahead and I bought one for each of the coffee lovers that we know as a gift.
2: We don't know a lot of people, though, but.
0: It's something that I know that they will love and actually use. AeroPress is shockingly affordable.
2: It's less than 50 bucks. And people really love this thing. Like I saw people get it tattooed on their body.
0: That's crazy. That's so cool, though.
2: Yeah. You want to get it tattooed? Let's do it. I want to get it behind my ear. They also make that really cool Frisbee, the Aerobee.
0: Oh, yeah. I like that. And we've got an incredible offer for our audience. Visit AeroPress.com slash Crime Salad. That's A-E-R-O-P-R-E-S-S dot com slash Crime Salad to save up to 20%. That's aeropress.com slash crimesalad to save 20%. It's time to ditch the drive through, toss the French press, and say yes to better mornings, fueled by better coffee. Aeropress ships to the U.S. and over 60 countries around the world. And we thank Aeropress for sponsoring our show. In the midst of this tragedy, the investigation was closing in on Diane Downs being responsible for this crime. However, when investigators tested her skin at the hospital after the shooting, using a kit that tests for metals that are often found in gunshot residue, the lab reports stated, quote, no significant amounts of antimony and barium were detected on these swabs. Therefore, it could not be determined if the subject had recently discharged a firearm. So the question was, did she actually shoot the gun or did she maybe wear gloves or did she wash her hands at the hospital? And another question that came up, why wasn't she covered in blood spatter?
1: If I had shot my own children, would I not have done a good job of it? Why would I have taken my kids to the hospital? Wouldn't I have made sure they were dead and then cried crocodile tears? That's insane to think that I would do such a thing and then bring the the witnesses in against myself. That's crazy.
0: Diane ended up pregnant with a young man who she spotted while delivering mail.
2: Wow, she's a thing for these mailmen. So how much time wait, passed? He wasn't a
0: mailman. I, I don't, wait, postal, was she a mailman?
2: postal service is a mailman. She yeah. was
0: delivering mail. I don't know if it was some guy like picking up his mail, but anyway, she got pregnant.
2: I mean, that's like speed dating.
0: This was all turning into a reality TV show because Diane made an effort to notify the press about her pregnancy. In this interview, she explains. I got pregnant because I miss Christy and I miss Danny and I miss Cheryl so much. She also goes on to say children are irreplaceable, but the love, satisfaction, stability, and joy they bring to a parent's life can be replaced. She explained, I'm never going to see Cheryl on this earth again. You can't replace children, but you can replace the effect they give you. Wow. In her mind, I think this was a chance to show the jury how much she cared about her kids and how much she enjoyed being a mother.
2: To me, that just says, like, I can always get new
0: kids. Uh, It's disgusting. It's something I feel like a narcissist would say, honestly. Right. The trial was set to begin on May 10th, 1984, and it was to last for a total of six weeks. At this time, Diane was currently nine months pregnant, so she can have this baby at any moment now. And when she does, the baby would be taken into custody and placed up for adoption once it was born. And as far as her two other children who survived this traumatizing shooting, they are in the care of a foster home. Danny, who is now five years old, is paralyzed from the waist down permanently. And for the rest of his life, he will have to use a wheelchair. His sister, Christy, who is now nine at the time of the trial, was still recovering from a stroke and can only speak in fragments. And, of course, there was Cheryl Lynn Downs, who was seven at the time of her death, who died after the shooting. The only witnesses in this trial are the two young children who remain alive, Danny and Christy. However, Danny is too young to testify against his mother— but they believe Christy could be a key witness in this trial. Both Danny and Christy have received intensive psychotherapy and physical rehabilitation in preparation for the trial. Before the all-female jury entered the room, Diane Downs could be seen laughing and joking with her lawyer. An observation that can only make you think about how disconnected she must have been from the trauma that she put on her own two children that were in this courtroom at this very same time. Diane remains emotionless and steadfast in her story throughout the entire trial. Then Christy is called to the witness stand to testify against her own mother. Christy testified at trial that she saw her mother open the trunk of her car and then shoot each of the three children. Now, Christy has lost a sibling, experienced stroke, Spent weeks in the hospital, underwent extensive counseling and therapy, and now she's been placed in foster care. I can't even begin to fathom what this little girl has been through. Her bravery to stand against her very own mother is shocking but impressive at the same time. And the most heart wrenching part of this trial was when Christy Downs was asked by the prosecutor, Who shot you? And Christy replied, Mom. It was so quiet in the courtroom that a pin could be heard dropping. Diane, feeling no harm done, didn't shed a tear as her daughter pointed over to her. With Christy's testament as an eyewitness to the crime, the jury heard what they needed to hear and was quickly able to come to a final verdict— Diane was tried, found guilty, and subsequently sentenced to life in prison, plus 50 years for murder, attempted murder, and assault. Prosecutor Fred Yugi and his wife decided to adopt Christy and Danny Downs after the trial ended. They had grown a very close relationship to the children during the course of the trial. Now... According to Diane Downs, she feels that her trial wasn't fair at all, given that there were a few things that her counsel didn't mention. Apparently, there were fingerprints found on the trunk of her car that didn't match Diane's. Also, a psychologist, Dr. Vergamini, spoke with Christy at the hospital right after the shooting. And in her report, she states that she did not remember the shooting and that she was genuinely confused about what happened. And like we said before, during the testing of the medals, there wasn't anything. So could Christy have been influenced by the prosecution? It's possible, but it wasn't found as an error, according to the court. And the jury found her guilty on all counts. Despite everything that happened, Danny and Christy were welcomed into a new family, hoping to put the past behind them while trying to live some sort of normalcy after what they experienced. While Diane was in prison, an assistant superintendent at the women's prison where Diane was being held stated that Diane and a few of the other inmates were playing in a recreational yard when Diane climbed the high razor wire fence and hitched a ride away from the prison in July of 1988. A motion detector on the fence went off, but by the time the guard got out to the yard, Diane was long gone. Police searched herself for any clues to where she could have gone and were rewarded when they discovered an address and a map indented into a notepad that she had left behind. This sparked a manhunt that spread across 14 states and lasted for 10 days. However, a short distance from the prison, from where she escaped, the police followed this lead and they found Diane in a bedroom of a wooden frame house with a local man who was 36 years old. Now, many people suspected that Diane's motivation for escaping prison was to get pregnant. So it was no surprise that she was given a pregnancy test. At this time, it must have been a little scary for Danny and Christy, who were with their new adoptive parents. This mother of theirs is on the loose. So possibly this is the reason why Diane would be later relocated to a New Jersey prison far away from her children. Now, throughout her time in prison, Diane, she managed to stay in the public eye by publishing two books and making the most of any media attention that she can get her hands on. She also requested for parole in 2008. However, the Lane County District Attorney's Office reported that she, quote, continues to fail to demonstrate any honest insight into her criminal behavior. Even after her convictions, she continues to fabricate new versions of events under which the crimes occurred, end quote. And she changed the bushy-haired man who shot her and her kids to two men wearing ski masks or drug dealers and corrupt law enforcement officer officials. Yikes. So the story just kept changing. Right. Right. Diane Downs had two more parole hearings in 2010 and also in 2020, although those were both denied. Good. And that's your healthy portion of Crime for the Week. We thank you so much for listening and supporting our show. We hope you have a wonderful rest of your week.
2: And Turkey Day.
0: Woohoo! Gobble, gobble. Gobble, gobble. I can do a really good... um... Should I do the turkey call? Should I do it? Yeah. All right.
2: Well, you look like one, so. Uh,
0: a what? All right, here it goes.
2: If you want to put that on the internet.
0: Happy Thanksgiving, everyone. Thought you would appreciate that. Please subscribe wherever you're listening. And we hope you enjoy the show. Enjoy your turkey.
1: <laughs> all the blood, blood, all the pain. All the blood, blood.